Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Lake of the Ozarks message podcast. Our prayer and desire as you listen to today's message is that it would be an encouragement and challenge in your walk and relationship with Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at ccloto.org or download our app in your app store today. Now, let's jump into today's message together. So this morning is a little bit different. We are doing baptism and communion, uh, as is our tradition, that the last Sunday of every month is our communion Sunday, and then also we're going to tie baptism to it. And so we decided as a staff to, like, when have we ever really leaned into teaching what are these two ordinances of the church? Like, why do we do these things? Well, one, Jesus commanded it. That should be enough, right? Right? But we have to fill up about 40 minutes of service, and so we're going to do what good pastors do, take a short story and make it really, really long. And so if you have your Bibles, open up to Luke 22. Luke 22. We're going to talk about communion, we're going to teach on communion, and then we're going to partake of communion. And then we're going to teach on baptism, we're going to talk about baptism, and then we have some baptisms today. So if you see anybody else dressed as eloquently as me... They're getting baptized today, and we are excited to celebrate with them and in that. And so talking about communion, starting in Luke 22, verses, starting verse 14. And when the hour came, he, Jesus, reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Verse 16, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this, divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. See, what's really key about this is this wasn't just some Friday night dinner, you know, that he was just hanging out with his boys. This was a very symbolic meal that the Jews, that Israel has been celebrating probably for 1,500, maybe even 2,000 years. When you go back and look at the Exodus, when God redeemed Israel out of Egypt. This is when that meal started. And this meal was a worship service. And it was to be done a specific way because that's how God wanted it. And it's very symbolic, and I just encourage you, the Wednesday of Holy Week, we're going to have a Messianic Jew from Jews for Jesus, and he's going to lead us in Christ in the Passover. So even the elements that that meal make up, all those different things point to Jesus in some really cool ways. And so I really encourage you to be here Holy Week on Wednesday, 6.30 to see that. But this Passover, so if you want to hold there in Luke, go clear back to Exodus 12. And this is when Passover was instituted. So right before God is going to pull Israel out of Egypt, he goes, yeah, we're, we're going to have a last meal, and there's going to be certain things that we're going to do. But if you look at Exodus 12, verse 14, and this day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord, to Yahweh. Throughout your generations, as a statue forever, you shall keep it as a feast. 
And so this Passover meal, it was a symbolic meal to commemorate and to celebrate the redemption out of Egypt. Even, even why it's unleavened bread, why there's no yeast in that, because we don't have time for the bread to rise. We got to get out of here. They had to eat the meal as if they were packed up, ready to go, because, yeah, we're on the move because God is calling and pulling us out of Egypt. And so, every, again, every little element, very symbolic. The only part that wasn't, because normally with Passover, what we think of is that Passover lamb. And we, we've all had that story in Sunday school or in vacation Bible school where there's that, that had to be a one-year-old, perfect, unblemished lamb, and they killed it. They drained its blood. They didn't do that kind of demonstration in my VBS. I don't know why. I thought somebody was going to bring a lamb and we could live this out. But they would take that blood and with hyssop branches and leaves, they would paint that across their doorpost so that the angel of death that was going to come in and kill all the firstborn, yeah, that's in the Bible, you know, when people tell me, oh, the Bible's so boring. <laughs> no, you're boring. The Bible's awesome, right? And they paint that blood over their doorpost so that the angel of death would pass over them, hence the name. See, we think of that when we think of Passover. And again, all the other elements of the meal are important. And they're all symbolic, except for the blood. That wasn't symbolic. That was a real thing that was going on. And it wasn't just the blood of any lamb. It wasn't even the blood of just a one-year-old unblemished lamb. It had to be a Passover lamb. Meaning that you can't separate the blood of the lamb for the worship meal of what Passover is. That even though it was symbolic, it had a very real-life implication to it. Meaning that blood had to be on your do doorpost for the angel to pass over. So it wasn't, oh yeah, my neighbor did that. And we, you know, neighbor's kind of messy. And we got a few drops on our house and everything's going to be fine. No, was the blood applied to your house? Kind of see where we're going with that. Not because some pastor's taking the word and twisting it. Because Jesus coming and going to the cross, shedding his blood, that new covenant. It wasn't symbolic. His blood literally had to be shed so that death would pass over us. And so the only part that wasn't symbolic was that blood. And you can't separate, again, the blood from that worship meal. And the same thing for us this morning in communion, where that is just bread and that is just juice, and it will stay bread and juice. It doesn't change. It is symbolic. Now, I know we will differ with some of our uh, Christian brothers and sisters that celebrate in different denominations of Christianity, but that's just symbolic. It is pointing to, but what we can't do is separate the blood of Jesus from the worship that communion was supposed to be. And so on the bedrock of this Passover meal, the foundation of what that is, so Jesus is celebrating this Passover meal with his apostles with his disciples, and again, very specific meal, and even to the point of why did, why did he have to be killed and die on this weekend? Out of all the weekends, why this one, where there would be just millions of Jews coming to Israel, pilgrimaging in for these feasts? There's a whole lot there. But on the foundation of this Passover meal, out of all the different elements, Jesus picks up two of those. And it wasn't just a random cup. It wasn't like he saw Peter over there and like, all right, he didn't drink all his wine and so we got enough to go around. It was a very specific cup. And again, cannot reiterate enough. Please come back on Wednesday of Holy Week and they will walk us through 
all of these, but it was a very specific cup because there's actually four cups in the Passover meal. And when Jesus wanted to institute this communion within the foundation of the thing that they've already been celebrating for almost a couple thousand years, he was very intentional on the cup that he used. And then he picks up bread. And it's an unleavened bread, so there's no yeast in that. And both of these are pointing to Jesus. So the cup is his blood, and then the unleavened, that there's no yeast. And that was something clear back in Exodus, that the bread for this meal had to have no yeast in it, and it's showing that Jesus was sinless. See, in this time, they would, in the celebration of Passover, they used yeast as an analogy of evil, where it just takes a little leaven, and then the whole lump is leavened, that it just takes a little bit, but Jesus is without leaven. He was without sin. He, Jesus had to be that perfect lamb. He had to be sinless or we have no salvation. That's why our death does not bring salvation for us. There's nothing that we could do. We can't spill our blood enough. Why? Because we are broken sinners, that it needed to be a perfect sacrifice That's why Jesus had to be fully man and he's fully God. Fully God because he is perfect and he is sinless. Fully man because it had to be his blood poured out. And so this Passover meal that these disciples, they would have been celebrating all of their life. They would have grown up doing this. They would have been going through the actions and the motions and sometimes probably at a very young age, like I kind of understand, I kind of don't. and, And we have to be okay with that. And we'll talk about that even with baptism. But this Passover meal is something that they celebrated. They knew what the rabbi was going to say or the person leading the meal. They could probably just quote it to themselves because they did it every year and year and every year. And then it's something that their parents, that their parents celebrated. Like this is the foundation of their faith. And Jesus says, yeah, we're going to do a new thing. Instead of celebrating that redemption of Israel from Egypt and only looking back to see what God has done, we're going to bring a greater significance to what this really was, a greater fulfillment of what Passover really is pointing to. Because think, what did John the Baptist say when he saw Jesus at the beginning of John? That's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, the Jews absolutely would have understand what does it mean to take away sin. You can't just say, oh, it's okay, you're fine. You're forgiven, don't worry about it. No, they knew the sacrificial system in which they lived, which was the, just the bedrock of their faith. So when you're looking and pointing to a person and calling them the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, the idea of sacrifice was absolutely tied to that. It's almost kind of baffling at times that we wonder how in the world did the disciples miss it that Jesus had to go to the cross? Well, they're stubborn and thick-headed, just like me, just like you. How many times do we miss what God is doing, even though it's very plain to us? And so instead of celebrating that redemption of Israel from Egypt, this last supper, this Passover meal that Jesus says, I'm going to take these elements and we're going to go to another level. We're going to take it to a higher plane is the redemption of humanity from sin. And so when we here in just a couple minutes are gonna stand up, we're gonna walk up and we're gonna grab a cup of grape juice, we're gonna grab some bread and it's gluten-free because we know that's a very real issue for some people. We cannot separate the symbolism of what these mean. And they're not two elements, yes, the bread and the cup, 
but they are signifying the body and the blood of Jesus. And to take it one more little step, go to 1 Corinthians 11. Paul's writing, and I love how he says this, for I received from the Lord what also I delivered to you. He has said that a few times specifically in his letters to the Corinthians. And so this is not something that he was taught by Peter and John or James or any of the other crazy disciples. This was something that he received from the Lord, most likely on that road to Damascus, the days afterwards when he was blinded. What I received from the Lord also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also he took the cup after supper, again, that is key, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Yeah, that could have been the Lord right there. Are you ready? Are we proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes? So communion, you know, if you look at that verse back in Luke twenty-two sixteen, and we're looking at 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-six. Communion is, just, is not just remembering what Jesus has done. It's not like Passover where we just celebrate and we look at what, what God did for Israel and Egypt and that's it. Communion's not just looking at what Jesus has done, which is very key. Absolutely, it is very key. Do not lose sight of the cross. We can never become numb to the reality of the cross, which I think, apart from Scripture, is the cross, the empty grave, is one of the most historical, reliable events in ancient human history. We just get to open up the Word and see the significance of what this event meant. And so we're not just remembering what Jesus has done, but it's a ceremony of expectation. I mean, even the song that we sang that I don't know if Andy picked specifically because he knew where I was going. Do you read my notes again? Are you reading my notes? You're not done. We're singing that God is not done with us. Because, don't you fall over on me now. Fall into the water. This could be get real interesting. This is a ceremony of expectation of what Jesus will do. That when we come up and we take just this simple cup and a little piece of bread, we pray over, we remember the significance of what Jesus has done, but we're also proclaiming the significance of what Jesus will do. That we are proclaiming his death until when? Until he comes. Until he comes back. That he is not done. This isn't just like, hey, good luck, hope you can make it, see you on the other side. Every time we take it, almost kind of like the Jews when they have Passover, one of the things that they say when they get to the end of the Passover Seder meal, even today, maybe next year we'll do it in Jerusalem, meaning that they're waiting on the Messiah. And they're waiting on that last meal, which we know a great significance about in the book of Revelation. And so every time we take communion, we need to have the same thought. This might be the last time we take it. This might be our last supper. And the next time we eat of the bread and drink of the cup is going to be the same when Jesus does in the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so our prayer, Lord, let it be the last one. 
Let the next time that we take the cup and the bread to be with you in your kingdom. Why? Because we know you're returning. And we are awaiting you with expectation that this isn't something that we're going to do forever, but we're doing this until you bring again that fulfillment to it. So just the way Passover is pointing to this Last Supper, God's still not done. That we, as believers in Jesus, those that have put our faith and our trust in him for salvation, will one day sit with him at table, and he will pick up those same elements, and we will enjoy this meal together with him. And he'll say, this, this is what I was pointing to. And so as we are going to stand here in a moment, come down, we're, let's talk logistically. Uh, let's come down the, how do we do this last time? Let's come down the outside aisles, right? So you guys in the middle are going to have to hang for a bit. Um, come down the outside aisles, walk up. We had to move this one in because of the big tub of water. Grab your elements, walk back up these center rows, Keep your elements. We will take it together as a family. But we're going to sing a worship song. But go ahead and stand down the outside. Grab your elements back to the center and go. Once you see it kind of die down, pick which side you want to go to. And we'll take communion together. In the crushing, in the pressing, you are making the
this is the last couple are grabbing their elements. It's symbolic, but don't let the significant reality escape us. That this is something that the Lord gave to us so that we would never become numb to the reality of what it took for us to say, I'm saved and secure in the blood of Jesus. That I am loved by him. Just as a constant reminder that this was his body that was broken for us. And when we take it, we do this in remembrance of him. Let's take the bread. And Jesus again picked up that cup. He said, this is going to be my blood poured out for you. And when you think about the process that grapes go through and the crushing, yeah, that's, that was my body broken so that my blood would be poured out. And that is a new covenant, that I'm doing a new thing, that the, that new wine, you can't put that into old wineskins. You can't put this new thing that God is doing back into the old system of the Old Testament. I'm doing a new thing. And as often as you eat and drink of this cup, again, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until this is our last time taking it. Drink the cup. So, Father, we love you. We trust you, Lord. And we surrender to you. Our lives, we surrender to you our hearts. Let us never become numb. Let us never lose sight of the cost that you paid so that we could be saved, that we would be free, that we would allow you to do a new thing in and through our lives. And I pray that our lives would be lived out in response to your sacrifice. So give us that kind of faith, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. We're not done. Open up your Bible to Matthew 28, back into some teaching, and then we're going to do some baptisms. And so turn to Matthew 28. Now, baptisms, a lot of times we think is a very Gentile church age type of thing. But again, in the Old Testament, the, the Jewish nation, Israel, they had a baptism. It was more of a ceremonial washing and a dipping. They had certain baths. Uh, and, and tubs of their day, right? And so the foundation of this is in the Old Testament scriptures, washings were almost always for those that were already a part of the believing community, right? And they symbolized a cleansing from sin and guilt. They were generally associated with cleansing from a sinful or otherwise unholy condition, right? So there were certain things that would happen in your life that could make you in an unholy or an unclean state. And so you would have to go to the priest and there would be certain things that you would have to do um, just to give, okay, what's an example of one of those uh, ladies? You, you would have to have done that about once a month after a certain thing was done, you would have to go to the priest and you would, you would do ceremonial washing to be clean again, ceremonial clean. That, that was normal, typical everyday thing, not trying to be crass, not trying to be too whatever. That's, that was normal for that. And these washings, they were done na nationally. 
So for the whole nation of Israel, there were certain times we can see in the Old Testament that they called the whole nation to cleanse themselves. It was done priestly. So when you talk about the different priests of the Levites that were to walk into the temple, they had to be ceremonial cleansed, and there were certain things that they had to do for that. Because again, if you walked into that holy of holies of the temple or the tabernacle, if you walked in in an unholy and unclean manner, dead, right? Imagine if we still had that law on us, and you're walking in the sanctuary, and you're like, should I walk through the doors or not? Like, this could... like. God knows what I did Saturday night, and so I just, okay, here we go, we're all right, we're good, you know, bodies are just stacking up, we're like, oh, we see how they lived, right? So (laughs) thank the Lord that we don't have that anymore, and it was also done individually, and so, you know, we think about even in Jesus's time, Jesus still lived and operated under that Old Testament, how God dealt with uh, Israel and dealt with humanity. And so he would tell when he would cleanse and clean, uh, heal the leopard, he would tell him, go and present yourself to the priest and, and walk through what is required of you by the law. He's referring to a ceremonial washing and a cleansing. So this was already kind of a foundational thing that was going on. And then you got this wild cat rolling up on the scene, right? Some of you probably looking at me thinking, you look pretty rough today, Nick. You know, John the Baptist, he looked a little more rough and he was paving the way for the Lord, right? And so John the Baptist rolls up and he has this thing called a baptism of repentance, a baptism of repentance. And so he knew, and as a prophet, the last prophet, uh, he knew that Israel was wandering away and apart from what God has called them to. And so he's, he's calling a repentance back so that they would be ready to receive the Messiah, which is Jesus, right? And so he has this baptism of repentance. And just like any other Old Testament prophet, always calling Israel back into worship of the one true God. Because it's, it's at this point, everything that they were pointing up to in the Old Testament, like it's going to get fulfilled. So like, you better get ready because Yahweh, Messiah, is going to come and reveal himself and, and want to bring his kingdom. And are you, are you walking in repentance of that? Are you changing your life for it? And so this baptism of repentance symbolizing that repentance, not just a, an inward thing, but it was, it was a way to show those around that like, nope, I'm... I'm getting right with the Lord on this. And so it was symbolizing repentance and a purification by God, and it was an initiation into the community of the Messiah, right? So when we understand that kind of foundational understanding of a baptism of repentance, this thing then became a central ritual for the community of us, Jesus' followers, after his resurrection, that we are commanded, again, go to Matthew 28 at the very end, we have the Great Commission. So Jesus with his 11 in Galilee. So this is not when Jesus ascended, because we know Jesus ascended when he was in Judea from the Mount of Olives. This is probably the, one of the first times that Jesus had revealed himself to the disciples after, all, tw- all 11 of them, after his resurrection, because they're in Galilee it's key there. I think they were on the Mount of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. The Mount of Beatitudes is where they're at, right? And he's, when they saw him, they worshiped. Some doubted. I'd love to ask who, but they don't tell us. Verse 18, and Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So there's the Trinity, three persons. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so when you look at the original Greek of that verse 19, go therefore make disciples, it means just as you are going, disciple. And what does it mean to disciple? We talked about it last week. A great word is apprentice, that we apprentice Jesus and people should apprentice us, be imitators of God as, you know, Paul says that in, what is it, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Went to a phenomenal service yesterday for a sweet saint that is with the Lord now. And we were just all sharing stories about her life. And it's like, that's it right there. That if you can be an imitator of her, you knew you were going to be an imitator of Christ because she was following Jesus and being the hands and the feet of Jesus in real everyday life. And so we are called to do that very same thing, to apprentice Jesus and encourage and teach others to apprentice Jesus. And a part of that is by baptizing them. And some people say, well, if baptism doesn't save you, which it doesn't, and if baptism is just symbolism, I could still have a vibrant faith without baptism. True, you can. And you're still walking in disobedience to the Lord. Just going to call it. And you might think, well, what's the point of it? I wish I could sit up here for just days and days and days and teach through it. But at the end of it, Jesus commanded it. And in part, I think it's for us. I mean, it's one thing to publicly express this inward reality of salvation, but I think it's for us. That even in my own life, there's been times that I've wanted to be walking into some temptation. It's like, no, I'm, I'm with Jesus. I've been baptized. I've been raised to new life. It's not just something that I've thought about. It's something that I've acted out in. And obviously, we know there's a difference there. You know, we could hate our brother, and Jesus said, yeah, that's still murder, but that is different than actually murdering your brother. That the thought life and the acted out life, there, there's a difference in that for, for the bad, for the negative, in sin, but I think also in righteousness. That we can say in our heart and our mind, absolutely, yes, I am with Jesus. But he's like, all right, if you really are, obey me. And, and it's not a silly little ceremony. It's something significant. Will you obey me in this? And so we, again, disciple, we baptize to what? Teach, to observe. To disciple, to baptize is to teach to obedience to Jesus. And now go to Romans, if you would, Romans chapter 6. Paul picks up the story here and he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue into sin that grace may abound? By no means. And how can we who have died to sin still live in it? Love to have an answer to that question. And do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus, we were baptized into his death? Like understand the significance of what we are about to partake in. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so when we bring these few people up out of the water, understand that what, what it means. Now walk in newness of life. You've been raised with Christ. Now walk with him. And so, yes, baptism is, is just a symbol. It's an outward expression of an inward reality. And again, like, well, why do we have to get baptized? It's a symbolism. Why do you take communion? It's just symbolism. 
but it's to remember the body and the blood of Jesus, and it's to remember that I have died with Christ and I'm raised to new life. And I think some of us sometimes will feel like, well, I just need that every month. We should just do baptism, communion, with us all line up, because we need that constant reminder. Well, I'm a double dunker, like, like a good Oreo, right? It's happened twice. Because when I was young, I don't remember the full significance. I know a, a really good pastor that led me in all of this and, and taught me all of this, but I don't remember that as a kid. I remember just getting baptized because my older brother did. And it wasn't until I was in my later 20s I said, you know what, this faith is my own. And like, I know I was baptized once, and another great pastor said, I would be happy to baptize you again, where it's in the full significance that you know fully in your heart and mind of what this means, and you're walking in your own faith, and you're walking in this newness of life. So I went down to the water again. But it's a we have to understand the significance of it. Yeah, it's an outward expression of an inward reality. It's a spiritual symbolism, but it's with a real-life significance, just like the cup and the bread. That is a symbolism of a real-life thing, the body and the blood of Jesus. The waters is a symbolism of a real-life thing. I'm dead to my sin, my life. I've been bought with a price and the price was the body and the blood of Jesus and I'm raised to new life. And so how we need to ask ourselves this question, how can I who have died to sin still live in it? That's the struggle that we will have. That could have been the Lord again, right? That's the struggle that we have for the rest of our life, this side of glory, that we will be in this constant sin knowing that I've died to it, but I'm still tempted to walk back into that old way of life. But we have to have that reminder that we've been raised out of the waters just like Christ has been raised from the grave. Never to go back to that same grave. Jesus died once and for all and raised to immorality. Thank you. Immortality. Let's turn this one off so we don't double mic. Maybe we don't need two of us, right? But we're raised to new life, just as Christ was, never to go back to that grave again. And so understand the symbolism of our baptism is that we're raised to new life, never to walk back to that old way of life again. So I'm going to pray. And if you're getting baptized, you probably look like me. You got swimming trunks on and a shirt like me. Just go ahead and stand up. You're going to go over to Sean here, and then we'll jump into this. So, Father, we love you. We trust you, Lord. We thank you for the, the two ordinances that you have given to us as the church, as your bride, as your body, that we would never forget the sacrifice and the new life that we have because of who you are, Lord. And as often as we eat of the bread, drink of the cup, we're proclaiming your death, and as often as we do baptisms, even if it's not our own, we're reminded of our own death that we've died to sin and that we're raised to new life. And so, Lord, even as we watch these precious individuals get baptized, let it be a reminder to our own faith that I've been raised to new life and strengthen our faith in you, never to walk back into the old, but to keep our eyes focused on you, to live for you, that, our, that we would literally be the hands and the feet in your heart into this broken world. Give us that kind of faith, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Bill Bowman. I've lived here at the lake for four years. I've been coming to the church for two and a half years. Um, retired. Uh, I'm 66 years old. I was driving uh, at, at my job uh, as a long haul trucker in Fort Worth uh, on a Sunday night in my early 20s. Um, I was curious to know more about the gospel and I was watching the gospel on TV and uh, they were talking about giving the prayer and surrendering yourself uh, to Jesus. And so I did at that point. And I want to be baptized to express me surrendering myself to Jesus. My name is Bill, and my life has been transformed by Jesus. This is the second baptism service where our heaters broke. <clears throat> so the water is actually very cold, so we'll move this along fairly quick. <laughs> so you know there is dedication to the Lord <laughs> when you want to jump into the ice bath of it. I love no matter how young, how old, but when the Lord grabs a hold of a heart and you see obedience to walk with Jesus and that surrendering to him, it's just a beautiful testimony every time. So, Bill, it is my pleasure to baptize you. Let me pray for you. Lord, warm the water as you have warmed our hearts through faith in you. And I thank you for Bill. I thank you for his testimony. And so use him in a mighty way to continue to be who you have called him to be and with his life to be lived out as a testimony to your goodness. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Bill, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's okay. It's okay. Let's uh, let's go to the next one. Uh, when did you accept the gospel of Jesus Christ? When I was two years old. Why do I want to get baptized? Because Jesus has always had my back when I'm down at all. I love him so much. out front. There you go. Yeah. Well, it's going to be cold, so we're going to go quick. No. Um, what I love about with young ones getting baptized, and it's a good thing. We have to trust the process. Sometimes they'll struggle and be like, well, when do I accept Christ? Well, obviously, Ryan never like, you know, was one of those barefoot hippies with sex, drugs, and rock and roll down in South California waiting for Chuck Smith to baptize her. She grew up with good parents and good grandparents that were leading her and teaching her, taking her to church. And so this, this is the normal, where we just grow up knowing and being taught Jesus. Like, this is what discipleship should look like, because it starts in the home and it starts with the family. And so let me pray for you, Ryan, and then we'll baptize you. Father, we love you. We trust you. We just thank you for Ryan. Thank you for her faith. And I pray that you would continue to grow that in her and through her, that you would use her in a mighty way in the rest of her life, that she would keep proclaiming how you have always had her back and that she would always proclaim her love for you. So we thank you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. 
Ryan, it is my pleasure to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hi, my name is Sophie Hopkins and I'm 14 years old. I accepted Jesus a couple years ago when I started going to church. Me and Pastor Nick prayed in his office and he gave me a Bible. I want to get baptized to strengthen my relationship with Jesus and show that I believe in him. My name is Sophie Hopkins and Jesus changed my life. She goes, is it really cold? Yeah, no, it is. <laughs> no, we're just lying to you, the whole pastor. No. Uh, again, yeah, they're connected if you haven't seen, you know. And it's always neat to see family following the Lord together, you know, because some of us have that testimony and some of us don't. But again, this is God's plan for the family is that we as the whole family unit would be walking with the Lord. And so when you see, again, just young people giving their life to the Lord, wanting to live in obedience and expressing that outwardly, it's always a thing to celebrate. So let me pray for you, Sophie. Father, we love you. We trust you. We just thank you, Lord. Thank you for Sophie. Just put your hand upon her. Continue to lead and guide her in her faith and in her life. That again, it would just be lived in a testimony to your goodness, your grace, your love, your mercy to us, Lord. We praise you and we trust you. We pray this in your name. Amen. So here, scoop this away a little bit. Swing your feet that way. There we go. There we go. There we go. All right. I'm baptizing you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. <laughs> I have known of a pastor getting electrocuted in the baptismal. Can you imagine that? Baptizing people in the name of Jesus, and then you're standing looking at Jesus himself. <laughs> I got four minutes. Is the Lord tugging at your heart saying, you know what? I need to do that. I'm still in the water, and I just encourage you, stand up, empty your pockets, because I'm not paying for your iPhone getting destroyed in the water. It is greater to drive home in wet clothes in a wet car but walking in obedience to the Lord than to sit here and think, you know what? Yeah, I need to do that sometime. You're not guaranteed that sometime. That's sometimes right now. And so if you say, yeah, I want to do that, I would be my pleasure to baptize you. Dead serious. And if somebody stands up, you as the body of Christ better celebrate that, right? Don't even be shy about it. There it is. We can do more than one, so we can start a line if we need to. We run this right into second service. I'm here all morning. Now, we don't have a cool video for you. <laughs> Come on in. Turn around here. Let me talk to you a little bit. Travis, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Watching your daughters get baptized kind of moving, isn't it? <laughs> kind of moves a guy. Amen. Um, so we have to do this live action right here. So, obviously, you heard me teach and the significance of what this means is if you've given your life to the Lord and you want to express that outwardly to the body of Christ and say, hey, I'm with Jesus on that. Is that right? I'm with Jesus. I'm with Jesus. Amen. All right, let me pray for you. Father, we love you. We trust you. And, Lord, we are celebrating.
as we know that your heart is full of joy, walking your, watching your children walk in obedience and walking in the things that you have laid on our hearts, that we are surrendering our lives, surrendering families to you. And Lord, so we just ask for your hand to continue to lead and guide us. And I lift up Travis to you. I thank you for stepping out and just massive courage and massive faith to say, I'm with you. And so, Lord, put your hand upon him. Continue to lead and guide him and his family. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. <laughs> We've even bought new heaters, right? So Travis, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We might have like a spare shirt or something upstairs. You might grab them or something like that. Anybody else? Jerron, here we go. We got one of the pastors. He's coming down. We love it. This is, this is what it's all about, is outwardly expressing our faith in Jesus to say, I'm with him. The, the very thing that started the movement of what Calvary Chapel is, like we're not stopping in that. Now, we don't have a cool South California beach to go to, but it's the same Lord. It's the same salvation. It's the same body of Christ that we are entering into to be a part of. And so I encourage you, let it be baptism or any other step of obedience that the Lord has for you. Don't wait in that. If the Lord is leading and guiding and you know clear from his word of what you are to do, walk in obedience. Walk out your faith in him. So let's pray. I will let you guys get out of here. Father, we love you. We trust you, Lord. We thank you just for an amazing morning already, knowing that you are here, you are moving, you are working, and there's still more to come. So we praise you and you alone. We pray that everything gives your name glory and in you are lifted high. But put your hand upon us. Give us a courage and a boldness not to live out our faith inside of these walls, but we know that the mission field starts when we leave this facility. That I pray that the other six days would still be lived in faith, trust, and confidence in who you are, what you have done for us, and how you continue to work in and through us, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said? <laughs>